This is Pamela Ramos Brown from the Holistic Wealth Podcast. Today, our podcast will be about a broke broker's tale of this rich client versus poor client. We'll be talking about two brothers. Both of them had lawsuit settlements of $1 million each. And these two brothers were brought to me by this young but wise attorney. And his claim to fame was learning how to simplify the process for success. And so he was off to a great start winning these lawsuits for people. And he decided to bring his two clients to me. Again, both had $1 million each to start with. That was their settlement from the lawsuit. One of the two accounts ended up having a lot of fraud alerts. I just kept getting calls at the call about fraud alerts regarding one of these accounts. So these two brothers uh, decided to go in two different directions with regards to what they would do with their money. And even though, um, again, they both started out with a million dollars, their portfolio performance ended up very differently. So I'm going to let you kind of figure out who uh, did what. And so one of the brothers got a new boat. The other brother uh, bought things to upgrade his family's house, like, you know, TVs, cars, and stuff like that. And um, again, they had the same amount of money, $1 million each. We started them on the same start date. And actually, believe it or not, we put them in the same investment strategy because um, there were some similarities with regards to their long-term goals, with regards to retirement, their risk tolerances, and things like that. And um, so, however, even though they were starting with the same amount of money, starting their investment on the same dates, and they were in the same investment strategy, they still were starting from different places in life. So that was really interesting. And that starting from different places in life really made a difference in their um, overall portfolio performance results. For instance, one of the brothers ended up um, having, um, you know, a much better, a much stronger performance in his performance, whereas the other one, um, particularly the one that um, had the multiple fraud alerts, uh, ended up having um, a poor performance in his portfolio results. So I wonder if you have guessed which one ended up uh, with the poor uh, performance portfolio compared to the other. They both did fine, but you know, one just outpaced the other. And so I'm about to let you know. This is still, again, a story of the rich get richer and the poor continue to be at least poorer than the rich. So by now, you may have guessed, and hopefully you have, but, you know, not that simple. You may have guessed that the one who bought the boat was the brother that was starting off from a more wealthy 
perspective and place in life. And the one that um, did not um, buy the boat was the one that, you know, was not as uh, financially wealthy at the time that he received his million dollars. And so, um, again, because of the uh, things that the uh, brother who was not as rich as the brother who bought the boats uh, ended up, you know, having to spend his funds on, um, you know, getting new TVs, getting a new car and things like that, that he felt that his family needed to upgrade their life from being mediocre to just a little bit better. Um, he His uh, portfolio um, performance results were not as good as the brother who mainly all he did with his money was bought one item, which was a boat. And then the rest of it, he let it sit. It sat there and uh, just grew. And um, so, and it really wasn't an extreme amount of difference in the total dollar value of, um, you know, the amount of money that, that they both spent. They both spent a nice, you know, bit of money because, of course, you know, a boat costs a nice bit of money. But also the uh, TVs, the cars and things like that added up as well. And so, again, the, the the brother who started out with, he already had TVs. He already had cars. He already had most of the things that he needed to already be in a comfortable place. The brother, the other brother, uh, was not in that place. He was not in a place where he had, um, you know, nice up-to-date TVs, nice up-to-date and reliable cars. So he bought those things for himself and for his family so that he could, you know, improve his life uh, for himself and for his family. And so what that ended up doing was costing him uh, more then it caused the other brother to simply treat himself to a new boat. And so the question is, um, should the one with the lesser money who started out with the lesser money get criticized or understood? Is that understandable that he wanted to, you know, buy TVs, cars and different things to come up possibly to the level where his first brother was? Um so versus just, you know, taking a, a portion of the money and just buying one item and uh, that may cost a good bit and then letting this money rest and grow. So that is the question. I'm not going to answer the question for you. I'm just going to let you ponder on it and you decide should the one with the lesser money, who started out with the lesser money, the you know the lesser lifestyle, get criticized, or should that person be understood? I would certainly love to know your thoughts, so feel free to share them with me. And um, so the the next thing I wanted to kind of share here was um, about this broke broker. And how uh, we came up with the name of the broke broker. My daughter actually was the one that kind of came up with that name. <laughs> and it was so funny because um, she um, was uh, comparing our life with me and her, uh, with me being a single parent and her being my daughter compared to one of her friends uh, who had a mother and a father. And she didn't really kind of understand why they were able to, you know, travel more and do other things that that um, we didn't. 
we were not able to do. And so I did explain it to her about, you know, you know, having two parents and two uh, incomes in the family and what a difference that made. And uh, so it was uh, a learning lesson. And uh, she ended up calling me the broke broker. <laughs> and so it was a funny name that stood with me, but it, it, it was eye opening as well to see it from her perspective of how she's looking at things and seeing the differences between the life of a single parent and the life of a uh, couple with uh, two incomes in the household. And, um, you know, the, the effect that it had on her life versus her friend's life. So it's very interesting. So, again, I hope you guys kind of think of it, too, when um, you're making decisions about how your family should be and uh, the effect that it's going to have on your uh, family members, particularly the kids, because that's one of the things we even talked about in the last podcast. So I hope that if you haven't heard it, maybe you should go and check it back out so that your kids won't be referred to you as the broke broker as well. <laughs> so one of the things that I learned as the broke broker at, uh, when I was a financial advisor uh, for this firm is that um, in addition to the, the first lesson that my sales manager taught me about divorce having a, the major impact on your wealth, one of the other things that the uh, sales manager taught me is that um, the covered call financial investment strategy was one that he really believed in. He taught it to me. And um, this is one of the ones, the investment vehicles that we shared with these two brothers. And uh, like I said, their portfolios were performing well. It's just the fact that when we looked at the two uh, compared to each other, uh, the brother who simply bought a boat and then just let his money rest, he ended up having a better uh, performance on his portfolio as far as return on investment than the brother who, you know, spent uh, continuously um, over time, even though there were, there were smaller dollar items. And uh, so that was one of the uh, things that I learned from them was to cover call financial investment strategy. And what was interesting about it is that it wasn't a financial product that the company sold. It was a, an investment strategy, but it wasn't a financial product. And um, so with it not being a financial product that they sold, then there were no marketing materials. And so it was really kind of complex to try to explain to people without being able to show them any kind of visuals, you know, and things like that and no corporate materials that they could, you know, look at and wrap their heads around. And so a lot of times I took the sales manager on my sales calls with me to um, help explain this to the uh, to my clients. And uh, fortunately, in most of these cases, these were people that I knew. And um, so even with the sales manager being there, trying to explain this complex investment strategy without the use of um, official marketing materials from the company, um, it also taught me a, another lesson because um, one of the biggest responses that I had from the uh, from my prospective clients is that, well, Pam, I really don't understand this um, you know, cover call 
strategy. However, I trust you, Pam. And so that is what helped seal the deal. That, that's what helped them to uh, do business with me. And uh, the enlightenment from knowing that people would trust me with their valuables, their money, their retirement savings and, and things like that, um, even when they couldn't understand the what or the how much or the how to do such a um you know, serious subject of uh, the covered call financial strategy. It really taught me um, a lifelong lesson about myself. And that is a major responsibility and blessing that must be cared for with great passion. For somebody to trust you with their money when they don't know really what you plan to do with it, how you plan to handle their money and things like that was, you know, just incredible. And it, it was uh, such a blessing to be in that position. Now, these two gentlemen, even though we put them in the cover car strategy, um, they really, I, I'll tell you just how complex it was. They really, they did not understand it. They got up. And they were walking out the door after the sales manager had explained it to them. They really were like, mm, I don't know, you know, just got this million dollars and you want me to trust you with some, uh, you know, strategy that we really don't uh, kind of understand. They were. They literally were walking out the door. They literally had their feet out the door. The door was open to the office. They were, you know, uh, half of their body was out of the door, half was in, in the door, up until the point where I said to them that this Friday, and one thing that, um, you know, if you go ahead and open up an account today, then uh, the great thing is that you have access to your money over the weekend because the company that I worked for was one of those few agencies that actually had its own bank. And so uh, with any other service that they would have walked out the door to try to get to, um, they would not have been able to have access to their money. They would have been able to deposit it, but they would not have been able to access it until Monday morning. And that little bit made the difference. They were like, okay, well, you know what? <laughs> I sure would like to have my money over the weekend. So uh, they stepped right on back in. We pulled the door behind us and uh, we did the paperwork. And that is how they ended up becoming my client. You know, in addition to uh, the young attorney bringing them over to me, in addition to the sales manager helping to, you know, explain the investment strategy to them. It was, you know, that um, little bit of um, helping them to see uh, another benefit of doing business with us versus someone else. And so um, this was a wonderful um, experience. It taught me a lot. I learned so much and I was, you know, just have been able to just kind of use it for different areas of, uh, of my life. And um, so here uh, it was an interesting situation because um, uh, even with this uh, particular company, um, the um, I was the manager uh, did tell me that um, he was he congratulated me on quite a few things I said um, that I was doing. Um, a lot of things right. But however, I came to the understanding that 
at the time, it was pretty much for the wrong company and at the wrong time. And uh, I mean, I even developed a spreadsheet that they did not have to even help automate and expedite the uh, process that they went through. It was a pretty lengthy process to uh, prepare for this uh, covered call strategy. And, you know, if you get a chance to check it out, you'll see that it involves a couple of, you know, uh, financial elements to it that, um, you know, have to be managed, you know, to um, get through the process. And um, I even had one uh, customer who wrote a song just for me, came over and serenaded me <laughs> because I was one of the first ones to offer a um, solution to their problem. However, the company ended up denying them um, the um, investment opportunity. They decided that they didn't want to um you know, kind of move forward with them because they were a nonprofit organization. And uh, which was interesting because uh, probably about a week later after they did that, my customer, I saw in the news where they had done this really big account with this major nonprofit organization. Yeah, I understand that um, maybe my client just wasn't big enough for them, even though it was some, you know, very, uh, it was a, a nonprofit organization that involved uh, quite a few companies from uh, an industry. It was an industry uh, organization. So, not really sure how all of the politics went into it, but all I know is that um, I got my little song that, uh, you know, told me that I was doing a good job for them, for the customer. They appreciated me, but the company was not able to, you know, accommodate my request for the, the customer. And also, um, this same attorney, he um, invited me to his uh, association that he was uh, involved in. It was an association of other attorneys. And we had about 20, 30 people in there. And so I was able to go and make a presentation to them. And uh, they were um, very um, excited to be a part of uh, this company. Uh, they were even actually interested in supporting me because um, it was uncommon to see uh, blacks in this industry. It was uncommon to see females and black females. It was like, oh my goodness. So let's support her. And uh, But also, you know, they were excited about some of the things I told them about. And um, so all of them, you know, pretty much submitted their um, applications uh, to uh, be a part of the organization. And uh, however, the we, we did not get the sales support that we needed here. And uh, one of the company's um, competitors actually beat them out on some of the deals. And, um, and that was very unfortunate because um, this was a, a pivot that I was taking because of some of the market conditions at that time. I decided to focus on the debt sales side versus the equity sales side. And I mean... When I tell you the majority of the people in this um, organization that were, you know, qualified with regards to, um, you know, credit, income and those types of things, they were all qualified. It could have been a great deal uh, for me, for the company. However, the company uh, was not prepared or they did not respond as positively as we needed 
for them to, um, you know, accept these uh, professionals as their clients. And uh, so these sales did not go through. So again, um, it was my understanding that we were doing things right, but not not necessarily for the right company at the right particular time and place. And um, one of the things I also found out about this too, when you are a young financial advisor, uh, you are mostly a salesperson versus an investment profession because until you get a certain number of clients, certain portfolio value, then the company really does not invest in you to, um, you know, help you with regards to those things um, with on the um, advice side of things. So it's pretty interesting, you know, the in- industry, how things work. And so... Um, Again, you know, here, one of the things that we'll be talking about these, you know, rich clients versus some poor clients. And um, so here, some another very important pers- uh, lesson that I learned uh, while there, so I didn't leave for nothing. I um, learned some really good lessons in addition to the ones we talked about, um, the rich client versus the poor client was... Um, asset allocation and portfolio diversity. So these are some very important things that you know. If you want to be a rich client um, with regards to your investments. And um, it says, also you, you want to know about asset allocation and portfolio diversity, not just for your financial investments, but for the highest return in life, love, and work. So I'll tell you more about that. And so looking at FINRA.org, that's F-I-N-R-A.org, it says when it comes to investing, asset allocation is the equivalent of deciding how many of your eggs, your financial eggs, you're going to put into how many different baskets or asset classes such as stocks, bonds, and cash. And the different categories of investments respond to changing economical and political conditions in different ways, okay? So these different categories in when it comes to politics, when it comes to economics, they may have different responses. So you may not necessarily want to put all your money into stocks because when politics change, hmm, stocks change. When bonds change in response to economic conditions, then then stocks may not be changing the same exact way. And cash also, you know, believe it or not, uh, cash responds differently in these different environments as well. And so if you're you know, have some thoughts about should I or should I not, you know, keep cash or should I put all my money into stocks, bonds, and et cetera, then you might want to look at the Warren Buffett way because um, he is one of those people that believe in holding on to some cash. So check it out. And uh, another one was, uh, again, about this diversity, diversification. And that is where you are spreading your investments both among and within different asset classes. For example, to avoid concentration risk, then you would select various types of stock, not just putting it into stocks, 
put it in into bonds and put it in into cash. But when you put it into that particular stock bucket, then in that bucket of stocks, then you want those stocks to be diverse. Some of your money may go into a bucket of bonds. So in that bucket of bonds, you want those bonds to be diverse. So you can spread your risk out over different types of stock, different types of bonds. And then, believe it or not, there are various different types of cash accounts. And so, again, in your cash bucket, you also want that to be diverse. So let's get into it a little bit more. So one of the things that uh, we have all been taught about investing in some cases is that we should invest in what we like. Mm -hmm. I saw a reference to a person who only likes potato chips. Mm, interesting. We know we love potato chips. I do too. <laughs> but that's not the only thing I like. But I'll tell you about him. Now, his love of potato chips was a good love because it landed him a career involving eating potato chips and recording the glorious sound of the crunch that we treasure with eating our favorite potato chips. You know what I'm talking about, because when we eat those potato chips, mm, that crunch, it's just like mm, heaven. So not only are the potato chips a crunchy thing that we love, it's a whole industry that hires people and pays people to, you know, just get crunch into so many of our foods these days because we just have fallen in love with the crunch. But this particular gentleman, he makes his living, believe it or not, off of crunching potato chips. He sits at the desk, he sits in front of a mic, and he eats potato chips and records the sound. And he makes he makes money from that. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? I wish I could make some from eating this chocolate. But likewise, when it comes to investment decisions for life, love, and work, we have to carefully decide what categories we're going to invest in. We have to decide which of our valuables we're going to put into money, time, and energy. And we have to consider the risk as well as the benefits, just like in portfolio investment. So if we are excessively concentrated, remember that concentration risk we talked about? So if we are excessively concentrated in everything chips or everything bagel or everything's gravy, then we are putting ourselves and our valuables at risk. For simplicity's sake, too many potato chips can lead to health concerns. We know we just sit there and just eat potato chips all day, no vegetables, no fruit, no protein, and other things, then mm, too many chips can lead to some health concerns. So also, too many chips can be boring. We just eat chips and nothing else, no chocolate in there, no wine, really. Then, you know, that can get kind of boring. So too many chips might also mess up our financial budget. If we burn up our funds buying snacks, making midnight runs to the store, burning gas and living dangerously, being out late, et cetera, et cetera, because we know that some of us will jump out of the bed and off the sofa and make that impromptu run to the gas station when we get hit with one of those snack attacks for some chips. <laughs> so again, we just know that 
you know, it's good to be focused and concentrated on some things, but we don't want to be excessively concentrated in our investments in too many things. And some might say, hey, as long as the chips, like in the previous example, is making money, then it's making sense. If it makes money, it makes sense. I've heard that before, but mm, does it really? Are there other things that money, other than money, that we should value as a return on invest on an investment? So yeah, money is a good return on investment. There are other types of returns on investments. So we want to just kind of look at some of those examples. But first of all, let me just kind of clarify some things. Your job income is not really an, an asset. Okay, so that's not really an asset, not something that you own. So you can't really walk away with that and just say, okay, well, I have something as a result of my job income. The way that you have an asset from your job is income is from the accumulated savings from that job. Those are the assets. Those are the things that you own. Even if you have a business and your business have income, that's not an, that's not an asset until though that income is invested in some kind of physical investment, such as a building, equipment, things like that, or some kind of investment, financial investment, such as we talked about before, the stocks, the bond, the mutual funds, retirement accounts, you know, your IRAs, 401ks, different things like that. Those are your assets. All right. But here's one that we, we don't think about is really more of a soft um, asset. It's a, um, you know, an intangible asset. And that is the earning potential of your children. And sometimes yourself, if you don't have children, but particularly if you have children, uh, the earning potential of your children is a big potential asset. Because these, your children could become your future caregivers. Um, and you just never know. Just never know what your life is going to be, be about. Even though sometimes, like in the example above, you could be doing all of the things right, but not necessarily getting to the point that you want to get in the end. And so um, here, because of my mom's, investment in her children, we were blessed to have the means to take care of our mom for almost a decade and bless her with a graceful home going. And sometimes that doesn't always work out for people, but if you invest in your children, uh, it's a good chance that that will work out better for you um, to have somebody to eventually invest in you. And like in a lot of cultures, you know, they really take care of the elderly. But in America, that is not always the case for us in, um, you know, some some um, instances. So also the one thing that's really important is, uh, again, to invest in your family, especially your children's education for the highest return on an, an investment. I'll give you some examples. My mom helped me enroll in an accounting course during a summer break from middle school. Yes, middle school. Believe it or not, while the other kids was out playing and having fun and getting into all kinds of, you know, fun things. I was sitting in class learning about accounting <laughs> in middle school, <laughs> during my middle school break, summer break. And um, But these days, you know, children have many options today for 
you know, all kinds of things. Now that they have STEAM with the car, S-T-E-A-M, you know, there's an expansion of the STEM topics and, uh, you know, science, technology, engineering, all of those things and the arts, math and things like that. And so, uh, you know, I, I even helped one of my uh, grandnieces to get into computer coding while she's in middle school and high school. And so there's so many opportunities for them to, uh, invest in their skill development and not just their sports skills and not just fun things. So, um, and you know, they can really have fun in these things. Uh, and I, I, even though I was in an, in an accounting class, I didn't feel like I was really missing out on anything because I was enjoying what I was learning. I was learning about money and uh, different and business. So it was kind of exciting. I guess I was a little nerd back then, but I did enjoy it. And my mom invested in that in me. And so just to remind you that asset allocation and diversification. Um, so this is where, where you have the opportunity to distribute your mind and your body wisely across various types of things that you could invest your time and energy in. And so also another way that my mom invested in her family, she helped diversify my decision-making skills. For instance, she gave us absolutely no choice regarding attending school and church. Okay, so we had to go to school. It was none of that foolishness by dropping out of school, sitting up, eating, uh, you know, her food and her house and not going to school. That was absolutely. Mm, mm, mm. And uh, we didn't even have the option with regards to whether we were going to church. Uh, yes, you are going to church. And uh, matter of fact, even on Christmas Day, regardless if it fell on a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, etc., Christmas Day, uh, there came a time you had to put your toys down for a sec, and we are going to say thank you, Jesus, and happy birthday. So, um, and even if we had company over there, came over to see what we got for Christmas, uh, she always gave them the option, hey, you can come along with us or you can leave and come back another time. <laughs> Uh, so, but she did give us a couple of little choices. Uh, we were able to choose some of our foods, some clothes, some continuing education and physical fitness activities. So, yeah, she gave us some options, but, you know, she made sure that, um, you know, because God gave us parents uh, to bring us into this world, she knew the role that parents played in, in kids' lives. So she played her role and she made sure that things that we didn't have in the business, making bad decisions on, she didn't give us the options. The other ones, uh, she gave us some options to kind of figure out who we were and what we wanted to, you know, put our time and attention into. So I participated in the sports. I excelled in a few, volleyball, basketball, tennis, swimming, golf. Um, and also uh, tried to get into a little karate class, but um, they paired me up with this little child that was like a good bit younger than me, good bit smaller than me. And I didn't want to be a smaller child. And I definitely didn't want to get beat by a smaller child. So I was like, okay, goodbye. Not for me. I had to get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> so again, uh, mom did help diversify my decision-making skills. And I learned about myself, what I like, what I don't like, you know, and what things that, you know, I had um, 
the um, support of, uh, you know, more wise people to help me in my decision makers and I didn't have to be alone in those decisions for. So I thank her for that. And also mom also sacrificed for us. She sacrificed um, to get books and have keep books in the house, and which turned out to be good for me because I found out that I really like to read. Um, I did like getting out, getting outside because I was um, active, athletic, and things like that. But my mom, she sacrificed to get us those um, encyclopedias. You know, encyclopedia man would come around like once a week or once a month and have an encyclopedia for us. And my mom would, uh, you know, get one and add to the set. And, uh, you know, they, you get the A set, you get the one with the B words in it, the C words, the D words, the E words. And uh, we just it just kept growing and growing and kept having things to learn from. And unfortunately, they discontinued it in the poor neighborhoods like ours. So we would know we got up to a certain letter, I think it was uh, letter K or something. And next thing you know, they discontinued the encyclopedias. This was sad. But anyway, we had some and uh, we enjoyed the ones we had. Uh, we also enjoyed when the people would come around and give us those little miniature Bibles. I read both of my uh, little miniature Bibles. Every time they gave us one, I made sure I read mine cover to cover. And good thing I had some good eyesight back then because if I picked up one now today, I definitely couldn't see it. <laughs> but one of my favorite, favorite, favorite books uh, was called the Bruh Rabbit Story. And this was about the Bruh Rabbit and the Briar Patch. And I just learned, I just learned, I'm telling you, I just learned this week that that book was made into a movie years ago. And that the movie starred, starred a lot of people that I knew, like Nick Cannon, Wayne Brady, Wanda Sykes, D.L. Hughley, Danny Glover, and more stars. And it was the story of how the rabbit cleverly outwitted its rivals. It let me know, just like the song says, what the devil meant for bad, God meant it for my good. Because every time they tried to get that rabbit, he was able to outsmart them and just figure out how to get, get out of their traps. <laughs> so it was so wonderful. That was uh, such a good uh, such a good book that I enjoyed. And um, even though I had no idea at that time when I was reading it as a child, I recently learned that it traces back to slavery. It, tie, it has ties to Native Americans. It has ties to cultural appropriation. And it has ties to President Theodore Roosevelt in some ways. So you may want to check it out. And uh, I mean, that it was just so cool to learn these things. And um, I also found out it was nominated for this award called the Best Home Entertainment Production Annie Award. So I'm glad to know that I'm not the only one who really enjoyed Bra Rabbits and the Bra Patch books. <laughs> it was a series of books that, that they had. And I'm going to check out that movie. And I was fortunate also to see Dr. Lynn Richardson of New Wealth University on Steve Harvey's TV show one day. And as a caregiver at that time for my mom, my head was twirling with overloaded demands and activity. I mean, being a caregiver, 
Mm, that's one of the hardest things that you can do in life. And I was um, at this time, I had been a caregiver for her for years um, and I was working full time and I was actually running a shift of workers uh, from like seven to six because I had to leave, you know, had to have somebody there before I left to go to work, have to have somebody there with her while I was at work. And then, um, you know, somebody there long enough to give me time to make it home from work. And then after that, you know, I was with her um, in the evenings and the uh, weekends a lot of times. And so um, this was a, a, a very demanding thing for me and and my family at that time. So, um, and at this time, by this time, I was uh, taking care of her uh, pretty much kind of full time around the clock. Uh, had to pretty much quit my job. And uh, just because she had got to the point where she needed 24 7 care. And so I felt really alone, even though I wasn't alone. It, it, the world of caregiving, it just made me feel alone. And, you know, sometimes things that you're going through, you just feel like nobody can ever understand this whole situation. And I needed some special nourishment. And uh, so when I saw Dr. Lynn on TV, uh, I was just so excited. So I decided that I, what I wanted for Christmas was one of her um, financial education courses. And so I have been hooked on her wealth phonics ever since. <laughs> and so I'm uh, excited to say I'm also a wealth ambassador for uh, Dr. Leah Richardson through her wealth university. And um so, for instance, Dr. Lynn, she also has a course for CEOs and home-based business entrepreneurs called Hire Your Kids. And plus, she has a book with over 400 beneficial tax deductions. So, she shows how there is no need to wait until your children are 15 or 16 years old for, you know, to start putting them to work in your business, um, helping them to learn about finances, um, helping them to get ready to start their investing in their own college education, financing, their moving out financing, their retirement without living with you finances, their entrepreneurship and more. Because even with me, you know, I became a little entrepreneur around the age eight uh, when I, you know, just happened to receive a Christmas card uh, sales opportunity in the mail. So, you know, there are so many ways that uh, you can start teaching your children early. For instance, uh, you should, one of the, some examples of people who taught their, taught skills to their children as young as possible include Tiger Woods, Venus and Serena Williams, Beyonce, Amanda Gorham, you know, their parents invested in them very, very, very early in life. And look who they became. So you may be sitting over there nurturing and an Amanda, a Tiger, Venus, Serena, uh, Beyonce, who knows? So, but one of my favorite child prodigies um, that I just really just learned of uh, recently when I was on an airplane ride and I uh, got a chance to see a free movie. <laughs> um, and I was actually uh, fortunate enough to, uh, one of my clients flew me first class. And um, so I got a chance to watch a free movie and uh, in first class, of course. Did I mention that? Anyway, the uh, movie was called, and I'm sorry, I'm probably going to say this wrong, this Southern Drum. And I did look it up, but I, I think I'm, I'm going to try to say it, but forgive me if I say it wrong. Um, but the movie is called. Chevalier, uh-oh, Chevalier. 
And it was described in USA Today in their article as Chevalier. Uh, was, was described as a Black French violinist. He was a classical composer and a contemporary of Mozart. Some people even refer to him as the Black Mozart. But he was so wonderful. I'm just going to try to, uh, you know, keep the name, keep his name as is Chevalier. And um, it's a French name. So, of course, I'm not saying it's uh, the French way, but his uh, his surname, his, his original name is Joseph Malone. And um, his full uh, French name, Chevalier de Saint-Jorge, Chevalier de Saint-Jorge, something like that. <laughs> and he was the illegitimate son of an African slave and a wealthy French plantation owner. And so we know that has happened many, many, many times, you know, during those um, times back then where the French plantation owner or the, the plantation owner um, bore children with those um, African slaves. And he was one of those, um, you know, persons that came out of one of those types of situations. And um, how he was fortunate, though, because he began studying violin at age five. And then at age seven, his dad, um, you know, he even though he didn't really quite have that uh, relationship, I, I imagine that he wanted to have with his father. But his dad uh, took him uh, to a uh, French school because he didn't want his talent to go to waste where he was learning about the violin because not only was he learning about the violin, but his dad had discovered that he was very, very talented. And instead of just letting his talent go to waste, waste there on the plantation, he pretty much took him, dropped him off and left him at this French school. And he paid for his education, uh, which helped him to develop his natural talent and become spectacular. And so he also became a champion equestrian and marksman. So if you ever get a chance to watch this movie about Chevalier and the spell C-H-E-V-A-L-I-E-R, and that movie was so absolutely wonderful. Let me tell you, I, I um, stayed there all the way to the end of the credits, the very end of the credits, just because I wanted to be able to listen to the music all the way until the end. And I recently even found his music on Spotify. Absolutely incredible. So, but here the, the main uh, point is invest in your kids. When you're talking about being the, you know, the rich client or the poor client, they are one of the ways that you can be the rich client is invest in your kids, even the ones you don't like, because you never know who might be the ones wiping your butt or spoon, spoon feeding you your pureed meals. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> so invest in your kids for the highest return on investment. And so back to Chevalier. One reason that I might have resonated so well with him is because of his Guadalupe background. See, when I visited Mexico, they jokingly said that the virgin of the feast of Guadalupe was paying them a visit 
since my birthday falls on its celebration day of December 12th. See, according to USA Today article, the Virgin's image is a symbol of resilience and resistance. Yep, that's me. Ah, So I'll take that once again. Our supernatural fate has connected us. Just next time you see me, if you want to call me the Virgin of Guadalupe, hey, feel free. <laughs> so again, invest in those kids. You never know who you may be nurturing over there to um, take care of you one day and to be the pride, your joy and pride. And so to reiterate our point, um, you want to take care of home first and play to win when it comes to investing in your children. So you can be that rich investor versus the poor investor. And then after you take care of home, then you can expand into your world. You can inverse, invest in diverse minority-owned businesses. For instance, God has spread the creativity, the knowledge, and abilities around. So why wouldn't you be interested in investing in diversity as a means of portfolio diversification? You get it? Portfolio diversification. In this case, means investing in diversity, diverse businesses like Be Wealthy with Pamela, for instance. But it's many, many, many more out there. Just like I said, Dr. Lynn at New Wealth University. It's just a, it's, it's many diverse businesses out there for you to choose from. You can also invest in small and local businesses. You can invest in sustainable businesses. This way, you won't hurt yourself carelessly or hurt yourself out of just not knowing better while trying to get ahead. A lot of times, you know, businesses uh, do wonderful things, but they don't necessarily think about sustainability in the process. They don't think about, well, if I do this, what are some of the side effects of, um, you know, what my business is doing and can I do it in a way that doesn't hurt, you know, our earth's atmosphere, doesn't hurt our community, um, doesn't hurt other people that could be affected by this, um, you know, process uh, that I am doing, uh, that I'm investing my time and energy and money in. So again, uh, those are some ways that you could um, invest in um, different portfolios, different types of investments, and um, have um, diversification. So again, you can be the rich client versus the poor client. So here's your chance to choose. Will you be the rich client or the poor client as a result of your investment decisions also in life, love, and work? Remember, it's not all just about money. So thank you for continuing to be a part of the Holistic Wealth Hustle podcast by Be Wealthy with Pamela LLC. In each episode, we are designing it to please you and to help joy to pursue you. Be sure to take swift action on what you have learned today and update your weekly wealth planner on your holistic plan workbook to receive your rewards of joyfulness. Feel free to leave your comments below and by contacting us at BeWealthyWithPamela.com. That's B-E, Wealthy, with P-A-M, 
E-L-A.com. Please subscribe, share, stay tuned, and let joy pursue you.